Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Okay, welcome to Barely Filtered with Aurora and Kristen. Today I am probably arguably the most excited I've been about this guest. It's Dr. Jolene Brighton. She is a woman's hormone expert and prominent leader in women's medicine. She is a licensed naturopathic physician, board certified in naturopathic endocrinology. Okay, help me out here. Okay, okay. (laughs) You can just say hormone doc. That's why I say hormone doc. All right, that's easy. (laughs) She is a hormone doc. She's the author of Beyond the Pill, a 30 day program to balance your hormones, reclaim your body, and reverse the dangerous side effects of the birth control pill. And everyone, please welcome Dr. Jolene Brighton to the show. We are so excited. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with both of you. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to talk to you, too. And this is actually one of the topics. Kristen and I are, like, striving to find topics that we don't agree on. And this is one of those topics that we're kind of at odds. I have always taken birth control, and I actually had really great um, what I thought effects from my birth control. I was on a low dose. I didn't bleed. My cystic acne stopped. I felt like my hormone swing stopped too. I didn't get pregnant. That was nice, you know, but I, my mom's sister died from birth control actually. Oh, really? This was back in the seventies when yeah. I guess the dosages were much higher. Mm-hmm. She was a little overweight. She actually was a smoker too, um, but she had a blood clot that went to yeah. her lung and she died in the emergency room when she was 19. Mm. So birth control is kind of a, a hot topic in my family. Um, and right now people are oh, yeah. starting to share. I was on it for two years, maybe. I think when I was like mm-hmm. 20 to 22, that's what you did, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I grew up, I wasn't sexually active until later, but initially my friends did it because they wanted to get big boobs. Yeah, they just yeah. Went into, <laughs> totally. They went into Planned Parenthood, yeah, didn't yeah. have to have a parent signature, got birth control, and then became sexually active. When I did, I went on birth control. I didn't like how it made me feel. I, I forgot it. Mm-hmm. And once I kind of felt, you know, found the love of my life, I started to do research. It wasn't popular yet though, but now I'm seeing it yeah. spread everywhere. It used to be the responsible thing to yes, do. which I love. People, women are finally, you know, taking back their bodies. So I want to dig right in. Aurora and I are kind of, you know, different, indifferent on this subject. I think it is poison. I call it candy poison. <laughs> Talk to us about birth control and your message and what you've learned as much as you can in our short period of time. <laughs> totally. It is such a divide, though, it seems. And especially mm-hmm. when you look online, people are like, You either have to be like shut up about the side effects and just love birth control because we don't want to lose access to it, which I mean, I agree. We need access to it. Or it's a like birth control did these horrible things to me or to a family member. And I absolutely don't want anyone to be on it. And I think we all come from our own experience. I mean, you both shared your own story. You came from your own experience with that. 
I'm not anti-birth control. <laughs> I am somewhere in the middle, um, right between you two in that I'm a first-generation college student thanks to birth control in part because I was able to control my fertility. And yet I did struggle with a lot of side effects. And I really hate that I got put on it for my heavy periods and my doctor never talked to me about, well, here's something else you could mm -hmm. do. And that's really my message is that if you choose birth control and you've been given all the information, let's support you in that. So that's what I did with my previous book, Beyond the Pill, is gave you a protocol to support your body in being successful on it and coming off of it when you're ready. Then, you know, on the other side of that is knowing all of those side effects, making sure that you know when to go to the doctor. So what is a blood clot? How does that present? Nobody is prescribed the pill in most offices today and told this is this is when to see Never. a doctor based on these yeah. things. And mm -hmm. yet. You know, they're often past the pill for heavy periods, painful periods, symptoms of PCOS, which is like cystic acne, irregular periods. And they're told these things are fixed and then they come off and all of these symptoms come back and they're like, I, I thought this was fixed. What happened? And they just feel so confused about their body. And so it's really my mission to make it clear, like, how did your body work? How do you work with it? And with my new book, Is This Normal? That one is really I mean, it's about understanding your sexual self, your cyclical self, and how to make your hormones your superpowers and not just be under the myth and the guise, which is that hormones are just, you know, make you crazy. And the only thing you can do about it is go on the pill to suppress them. And that's what you hear. I, I get a lot of support. How, you know, thank you for sharing this information about mm -hmm. the dangers of birth control. But also I hear the common thing is I have to have it because yeah. I have heavy periods. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's a Band-Aid, like you said. Yeah. The, the symptoms don't go away. They're, they're not cured. Mm -hmm. They're just maybe belittled right now. What else can women do before they go on the pill? Is it explore their diet? Is it explore, and, you know, for example, I didn't find out until I was trying with my second child. I think I was 27, 26 years old was I can only get pregnant a couple days a month. Yeah. They don't teach you that in seventh grade sex ed. What the oh, fuck? It's hard gosh. to get pregnant. <laughs> I thought the only way was to do, and then people say, how else am I not going to get pregnant? Like there's other ways. Yeah. There's tracking your cycle. There's con why do people hate condoms so much? Like, yeah. My, but, my yeah, boyfriend STIs went are real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. So what can women do before, you know, because doctors are like here, here's the pill. This is what you need. Right. They don't tell you about the other options. What yeah. are other options that our listeners you know, listening? What, what so, do they have? Like how about getting worked up first? Right. Your doctor actually saying, why do you have these symptoms? You come in with cystic acne and they're like, hey, the pill can fix that. Or you come in, you know, and you're having irregular periods. Oh, the pill can fix that. So those two symptoms I just described, polycystic ovarian syndrome fall into that. Roughly 10% of women struggle with that. And doctors are like, we can fix your period and the sex hormone presentation. And they leave out the fact that you're at risk for cardiovascular disease, mm -hmm. diabetes, and infertility in the future, which is part of why when women come off, they're like, the pill made me infertile. When in fact, what it was is that you were masking symptoms of a condition that makes you infertile. So it can be confusing that way. So step one is if your doctor is just like, take the pill. I mean, I have heard from patients whose doctors have said, you either take the pill or you don't come back to my practice. Like that's, that's unethical, crazy to me. right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, that's not how that works. But like, <laughs> that's how you make a seven minute visit work, right? Is you're mm -hmm. like, I have this thing that, and it will help. I mean, it can put cystic acne in remission. It will make your uterine lining shed, which is a period, you know, in a natural cycle, but you're not ovulating. So it's not actually a period. And why does this matter? Because I hear it all the time on social media where people are like, why even talk about this? It doesn't matter. A bleed's a bleed. Eh. Because cycling means that you ovulated and you actually have progesterone. And when you are on the pill, 
it's suppressing ovarian function, which is good. You don't ovulate. You don't get pregnant. And yet what happens is that we don't release all of those hormones. We're not cyclical. And so when women come off, they're like, why can't I get pregnant? As you were saying, this is just one example of what can happen when I had regular periods. And then I have to explain that was never a regular period, even though your doctor said it fixed your period. That was actually just a pill bleed. And now we've got to track where you're at because you're right. I mean, you can only get you can technically only get pregnant one day out of your cycle. So mm. is you this normal? really good at that. <laughs> She's like a one I'm three for three for sure. Well, that's where like fertility awareness method, like if you want to get pregnant, like that's the method to be using. Track your cervical mucus and mm-hmm. That begs the question, why is it that we're not given this information until we want to get pregnant? But most women aren't given this information until they struggle to get pregnant. And it's been six months or a year. And then their doctor's like, you know, or maybe the fertility specialist is like, how are you doing it? And they're like, oh, I'm just doing it like when we feel like it or every other day. And actually, there's a specific time, five days that sperm can live, one day that your egg is viable, put it together. You have six days of your fertile window to get pregnant. We withhold that information, not myself, obviously, I'm writing books and sharing it, but Mm -hmm. in the medical community, because doctors will say this is to the benefit of women. And I'm like, why do you get to gatekeep information? Why do you get to withhold and spread misinformation just because you think that's what's best for her. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, usually a, a man at that, that yeah, <laughs> a lot of times. It's like, why not give us the information and let us make the choice Absolutely. about that? And I know when I got pregnant, too, I was I had three miscarriages. One of them was after I had heard a heartbeat. It was incredibly oh, traumatic. Yeah. And I and I never thought I'd be the person to get a miscarriage. Yeah. I thought, you know, the people who get miscarriages are like, I don't know, smoking crack or something. <laughs> yeah. But so, I've had four, so I'm yeah. with you. And oh, I know well, I'm sorry. It, yeah, I know. No, no, I'm sorry as well. I mean, statistically speaking, it's one in four. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, that's information I didn't know until exactly. I literally so went online. I went on TikTok. I went on all the different, you know, late night Reddit forums. Yeah. And I had to kind of gather this information myself because when I went to the doctors, they were just like, Oh, you know, it happens. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, why did it happen? And they're like, well, for just no reason, really. It just, yeah. do we it, know why it, just it happens? happens? Well, most of the time, early miscarriages are going to be genetically related. So it's going to be, you know, basically your cells all have to divide perfectly. And if you end up with extra chromosomes, that's not compatible with life. And so that's a common reason. Other reasons that often go overlooked, hypothyroidism is one. And you might be totally fine before you get pregnant. But once you get pregnant, your thyroid may not be able to keep up with the demands. And so without that, you're at higher risk for miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And so we can see a lot of, um, there's a lot of reasons to work it up. There's a lot of things that we can look into when it comes to infertility. But right there is what you said. Like the whole reason I wrote, is this normal? Because why should we have to go to Reddit Why Mm -hmm. should women have to go to seedy sites on the Internet Mm -hmm. to get information that their doctor should be providing that heck their sex ed teacher should have done the service of doing it right? But like we live in the United States, like 18 states are required to have medically accurate sex education. And, you know, as they say, and this is normal, if it's not medically accurate, it's not accurate. Yeah, it's propaganda. Right. And it is propaganda because there is some agenda behind let's be let's call it what it is like most of these people making these decisions with big pharma and with the medical field. These are men. They don't have vaginas. It's a they, business. They don't, there is a, a lot. Business. There are trillions there of dollars. Tons of money well, to be made. Well, the birth pill was the first medication ever introduced that all you had to do is have ovaries, like no medical condition, no diagnosis, wow. like that ka-ching, like that's a huge industry. Yeah. And, and so do they get do doctors get paid for prescribing? I know they do some 
you know, prescriptions, do they get paid for prescribing you birth control? No. So you okay. are not allowed. There are there are ways that pharmaceutical companies can come in and like give you dinners and Take do all kinds Cancun. of stuff. But it's yeah. not really like okay. happening with birth control so much okay. because like socially, it's so accepted that like yeah. you just give it and it exa- absolutely helps some people. Like you'll hear people saying like, like I had endometriosis and this completely changed my life. It made me functional. And then you hear from other people saying, I started the pill and it completely wrecked my life. Like I was depressed. I was suicidal. And my doctor was like, it's not the pill. It's you. Like you're mm-hmm. broken. Or yeast vaginitis, can't yeah. have sex, pain with sex. And their doctor's like, try some wine, get some lube. And it's like, no, 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 no. Something else is going on. Yeah, I have two questions on the pill. One, you see this rise in breast cancer amongst mm. women. I think I believe it's the second highest death in the United States for women. And that graph of increasing number of women started around the time that birth control was mm-hmm. introduced to the market. Is there a correlation between birth control pills and breast cancer? So it's not a simple question to answer because, yes, there is. There's a slight increased risk with breast cancer. There's other you know risks that are decreased like ovarian cancer, yeah, endometrial okay. cancer. So, you know, you have to weigh your family history. But Birth control was introduced. And then what else was introduced? Tons of environmental toxins started coming Mm -hmm. out. What happens when you take the pill? You delay getting pregnant and most likely breastfeeding. Those hormones are actually protective against breast cancer. And so is it the pill, you know, specifically in these women or is it diet, lifestyle? I mean, we also saw we started to move away from like the new trend, like which is farm to table. Like we moved away from that. It was more processed foods. Like so there's a lot of factors that came into play. So it's not so clean to be like, yeah. It rose at the same time. Therefore, it's a pill. It's very hard with the pill to say anything. Like when we talk about the mood issues to say definitively it was the pill because there are just so many things that are also influencing our health. Absolutely. And I've also heard this again. I'm just trying to clarify with a professional something along lines that the pill hormones affect your, I don't know if it's the pheromones with the man you're with, yeah. your, your attractiveness, and it can actually trick you into believing that you're attracted to this human. And then you get off the pill and you realize, actually, I'm not. Is yeah. that true? Or is there some truth to that? There is some truth to that. And this is, yeah. oh, is that crazy? Know, right? this is, like, yes. <laughs> that explains that yeah. whole relationship I had in high school that I exactly. thought was real. That's, yeah. that's, that's the rumor has it. And so. like, let me just say right now, like haters, like we await your comments because they always mm-hmm. come where people are like, don't reduce me to my hormones. I'm sorry. These chemical messengers, they have a lot of influence over you. But what they have found, there's been several studies. They've been really interesting. So when you're on the pill, you will be less attracted to more the masculine features and more attracted to what they would say more feminine. And I think like that's maybe not the best language to be using, but basically a man with less testosterone compared to a man with more testosterone. And then it becomes a really just like doing inventory on them. Like, do they have a good job? Like, are they, do they go to therapy? Like, these yeah. are the, like and I think that's always important, but these other factors, as I wrote about in Beyond the Pill, there are studies about your MHC complex expression. So this is basically telling your you about your partner's immune system. And so in theory, you want to select a partner that's more genetically dissimilar for you, than you so that you can bring your genetics together and basically roll the dice together and get like the best genetic and outcome. And hope he's not your cousin kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> Definitely. And so there is some truth to it. Does that mean like it's the end all be all? And uh, no. And again, it's really complicated, right? Because there's so many things that influence our relationships and why we're attracted to certain people, why we do dumb things. You know, we all like have dated that dumb person, like not the dumb person, but 
but we made the mistake of yes. date. I have at least. Okay, we have lots of me. mistakes. Um, it's room. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely complicated because it's like, how were you raised? What environment were you in? Do, were your peers, uh, you know, pressuring you into this relationship? And so, yes, there is some truth, scientifically speaking. And at the same time, it's not the whole truth of like, why do we select the mates we do? And and now that people are becoming more hyper aware of the dangers that, you know, you weren't told by your doctor mm-hmm. or in your middle school sex ed, is there something you can do in a health wise to reverse the damage you've done? Let's say you've been on the pill for 10 years and you're yeah. like, oh my God, I have no idea that all of this is happening or how, is a factor yeah. in my fertility or my health or my hormones. What can our listeners do to reverse, if possible, the effects of birth control? Yeah. So the good news is, is that a lot of these things start to go away. So nutrient depletions are ones that we get concerned about. We've known about them since the 1970s. Yet when you got on the pill, did your doctor say, hey, you need to make sure you're eating five to seven servings of vegetables every day. And like you could, you know, you might want to be on a prenatal or something because you're going to have nutrient depletions. No, because your doctor's like, oh, you know, nutrition's only an issue. Like, it, you know, if it's extreme, And, uh, you know, we're not looking for optimal health. We're looking for like scurvy, Mm -hmm. uh, to which I'm always like, we're not pirates on the sea. We don't see vitamin C deficiency to where we have scurvy in the United States. And yet you can still have issues with progesterone and cortisol because we don't have enough vitamin C with how about the elasticity of your skin? Like there's those kinds of things, your antioxidant capacity. And so all of these nutrients, I go over all of this and beyond the pill if people are like, wait, what? All of these nutrients are important for our hormones and our fertility as well. The other aspect I'd say is gut health. So we see chronic yeast vaginitis coming up with some women who are on the pill and also just seeing bloating, gas, like weird gut symptoms, being diagnosed with IBS. And when you come off the pill, that might not just go away. You may need to do things like, again, dietary change, making sure you're getting prebiotics in, perhaps taking a probiotic as well, eating anti-inflammatory foods like turmeric, Ginger are really great to bring in the diet. We, before we recorded, we were talking about, you know, Norwegians and yeah. omega-3s. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely important as well. That's crazy because I just realized, I was like, I always used to get yeast infections and yeah. UTIs. And that was when I was on the pill. And yeah. I haven't been on the pill for maybe, I don't know, eight years now. And I haven't gotten any since. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, wow. maybe it is a correlation. What I'm hearing from you is that you're not anti-birth control and that you think it can be helpful for some symptoms, but it's not a panacea. It's not going to cure all. But like these nutrient deficiencies that you're talking about, are these deficiencies that they would have had regardless of being on birth control and that birth control kind of just masked it? Or this was like a catalyst for these deficiencies? No, no. It's being on the pill. So folate, B12, magnesium, vitamin C, vitamin E, even CoQ10, these nutrients get depleted while you're on it. So it is definitely something that um, is an effect of the pill. And it is as simple as minding your diet, making shirt like you get less of a free pass to just be like be like I was as a teenager and driving through the fast food window and just eating like nutrient devoid food. Yeah. <laughs> you have to eat yeah. more nutrient dense foods. And it usually is beneficial to take a multivitamin or prenatal. It needs to be a quality one for everybody listening. If your doctor says, oh, you just like are going to pee or poop that out. If you pee it out, you have metabolized it. If you poop it out, it is because it just wasn't quality. And so. Oh, you... interesting. Hmm. I didn't know that. That's a good that like neon pee. So yes, that's, that's riboflavin. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I love that. So I, I don't want to pivot from birth control if, if you have more. I have one, I have okay, one last ahead, question yeah. that I wanted to move on to as well is what can we tell our listeners who say, I need it because how else am I not supposed to get pregnant? Yeah, yeah. What are other ways to avoid pregnancy if you're not ready to get pregnant? Gosh, that's okay. So firstly, that's a great question. And we do also have to acknowledge that 
while, while the pill can kill your libido, the threat of pregnancy will also kill your libido. And it's a, and, or a baby will kill your libido. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't do. We keep going. Maybe just yeah. mine. <laughs> yeah, that's it's very possible. And we could do a whole episode on just like, does the baby did the baby get your libido? Did they rob your libido? I actually talk about that. And is this normal? I've, I literally say, like, yeah. <laughs> you think the baby stole your libido? So with that, like other ways that you can prevent pregnancy that are non-hormonal. We don't have great options because like, again, men, men really rule this. Copper AUD. So that one has a high efficacy rate. If you have endometriosis, heavy periods, painful periods, it's not for you. Just walk away. It's not for you, friend. Trust because I had heavy, painful periods and I was like, let me just try it anyways. And I ended up anemic and it was horrible. It's like bad decision. But I didn't get pregnant. So, I mean, <laughs> the things we will do right. to not have babies till we're ready. Fertility awareness method is another one. It's not for everyone, but I think it's such a great way to get to know your body. So you track your basal body temperature. You track, you should track your libido. That's my opinion in that and your cervical mucus to understand when you're fertile. And you'll see fertile cervical mucus come up and you'll be in the mood and you just know like, you need to bag, you need to bag that penis up and not yeah. get exposed <laughs> yes, to anything. You know. <laughs> yeah. Or you need to not have sex because, uh, so I have a whole chapter in Is This Normal of Sex of All Kinds. So if it's not the typical of what we think, penis and vagina, like you could do something else. But yeah. <laughs> often when you hear fertility awareness method failed, whenever I ask more questions, people, I'm like, what were you doing? during your fertile window and they're like the pull out method and I'm like that's one in 20 friend like you just moved yourself to a 20% yes. risk of getting pregnant like 20% in a year using that will get pregnant so wow. that's not fertility awareness that is fertility awareness like net you know the pull out method and really it's truly just the pull out method yeah. right because you're using that during your fertile window and for anybody listening if you are cycling naturally I write about this in is this normal there's actually what researchers say we should call the sexual phase of our cycle. And that is that fertile window. So it's leading up to when your LH spike happens for the pregnant person in the room, you know. <laughs> so the LH spike happens, that is what triggers ovulation. And it's in that period of time that three days or so leading up to it when LH spikes and then about, you know, a day or two afterwards, that we are in the mood. Like it is so easy to like, it's so easy to orgasm for a lot of people. Well, on that note, if it's okay with everyone else, I'd like to move to sex. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's talk about Pun sex, intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a specific topic on that that I, I want to talk about, specifically with sex, libido. I feel like mm. libido- That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Libido is kind of this just nebulous concept that I think people either feel like you have it or you don't yeah. have it. And for me, I've, I'm someone who has struggled with depression and my life, mm -hmm. depression and uh, catastrophic anxiety after I had my son. Yeah. Um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I had perinatal depression. Oh, gosh. And this isn't yeah. like I can't get out of bed. Depression has such a stigma. Like I could get out of bed and yeah. stuff, but it was just I could feel a chemical yeah. imbalance off with me. So my doctor prescribed Zoloft, which is the <laughs> drug that, you know, all doctors put you on. Yeah, and yeah. after I started going on that, I actually my period stopped. So I knew something was happening in my body, but I also started feeling really good and yeah. I did lose my libido, but I felt that I always had a low libido. Like mm -hmm. I've kind of always categorized myself as somebody who like just generally kind of has a low libido yeah. unless I'm like in a new relationship and it's hot and heavy. Like what are some natural ways to increase your libido and how can we make that like more of a concept that we can track? I love this. Okay. So is This Normal has a whole chapter on libido, which precedes the orgasm chapter so that we can get both, right? Okay, so with libido, often when people say, 
I have a low libido, what they're really saying is that my default is responsive desire. So if we use sexual desire, I think it's a better way to talk about it because it's like, I mean, what's libido anyways, right? So sexual desire is like you crave it, you want Mm -hmm. it. Right. So we've got spontaneous. These are the people who are like, the sex is on the brain. Like they're walking around and men. they're like, yeah, I wish I could have I mean, it can be a lot of men and that's how it gets characterized. And so anytime a woman's like, yeah, I got like sex on my mind. They're like, oh, you're like a man. No, because like, it doesn't matter your gender. Like there's a lot of things that influence this. So responsive is more like, I say like things got to get going before mm-hmm. things get going. Yeah. And so get you warmed up. Yeah, you aren't necessarily like walking around thinking about sex. Um, You may be. So I talk about this and I have in the 28 day program in my book, you go through and really map and chart this and see what's true for you. Because if you've ever had that experience where you're scrolling through TikTok and suddenly you feel like stirring in your nether regions and you're Mm. like, "Mm, I'm kind of into this. And then you're like, wait, am I like, did I just change my sexuality or like what is what is going on here? Um. And what that is, is just the brain surveying sex. And the brain's like, I picked up on sex. This is sexy. And the genitals are like, gotcha. So I'm not bisexual. See, I don't have that (laughs) feeling ever. I feel like there's something wrong with me. No, there's not something wrong with you. What causes that? Because a lot of women, I feel especially with women, we do suffer from low libido. So is there something that causes well, that? Well, let's talk or about that. We that. Can avoid? You don't suffer from low libido. I don't. But, I do. But a lot of women do. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. That's great. Okay, so we were talking about like there's spontaneous desire and there's responsive desire. And this is kind of your default and things are going through on, you know, through your life. Then there is this model called the circular sexual response model. And that is the best way to describe women. So now when we talk about men and women, here's where the research comes out and shines. Women are not linear. We don't think about sex, then get aroused, then like have an orgasm and done. Right? That's how men are. That's That's why we have this huge orgasm gap. With women, there's a lot of reasons why we might initiate sex beyond wanting an orgasm, beyond even wanting sex itself. Like we Mm. can want to initiate sex because we are feeling like we need to bond or Mm. we're feeling some people feel stressed. They want sex. A lot of people feel stressed. They don't want sex. And so with all of this, There's what I call the break and gas pedal in the book. This is based on the sexual excitation and inhibition model that these brilliant researchers did. And I talk about that in the book basically with women. And what I see a lot is that our breaks can be more sensitive when we say that we have a low libido. So that means that if your partner like left their underwear on the floor again and you have to clean that up, like that's a little check. Like your, your nervous system is like, you know, one roadblock and then... Now you're stressed out. You're having to take care of the kids. You're not getting support. That's another roadblock. Mm. Now there's a pile of dishes and you've already had a long day. That's another roadblock. So then when there is any kind of sexual advance, like that sex signal. So we talked about scrolling TikTok. Mm. That's not getting through because the nervous system's like, I can't even hear that right now. There's so much static going on. I have all these blocks and all the breaks are on. And what people always want to do is they want to go in and be like, Marvin Gaye, get the scented yeah. candles, um, you know, do a massage, like, and and activate our turn-ons, right? right? Activate the accelerator. But the accelerator, if you ever try to drive a car with, like, the e-brake on and you're pressing on the on the brake and then you're pushing on the accelerator, you are not going to go anywhere or it's going to be really choppy. So and that's... What, yeah, I agree, because what yeah. are our partners do because there's times where I'm like it's and I, and we can, can they clean up their clothes yeah, so yeah, yeah just pick up your fucking clothes like you put the sock right next to the laundry hamper put it in the hamper what is that it's like men are but, repelled but by then, baskets yeah <laughs> but then sometimes like as my, as his partner I feel kind of bad thankfully we have good communication I'm like yeah. it's not happening or there's very clear signs like, oh, I'm really tired. That's what yeah. they go to for women. Yeah. But then there's times where I'm like, I feel bad. Like, I want to give him sex. Yeah. I can tell he's really, he's so an animal. So you don't want to do it because you want to give it no. for him. I yeah. started getting resentful.
resentful of that. Totally. Feeling like feeling like he was mad at me because I wasn't giving him enough of it. Meanwhile, I have babies sucking on my boob yeah. 24 oh God, hours yeah. a day. And then you're touched out because like, yeah. the humans being on you yeah. all the time. And you're I don't like, feel I don't supported want it. by you. And like, I didn't have the yeah. mental, if you don't have like the, I don't know if it's just me or women in general, yeah. but like, I feel like I need like a mental connection Absolutely. with you. For sure. Otherwise, I'm not going to feel turned on. And then when you come by me when I'm in the kitchen and you like, Grabbing. touch my butt a little bit you're annoyed rage. yeah, yeah. Rage. your nervous system is like i pissed for like, sure it's the opposite so, so what, what okay. can we do for our partners you know to a say we're already at rage how yeah. can we layer back the roadblocks are yeah. there tools or is it something chemical Absolutely. where we can lay so okay get so, back to a place of peace totally <laughs> is this normal i have all these like quizzes and things that you can do to like evaluate where you are and communicate to your partner like this is this is my desire these are the things that turn me off like this is my operation mode throughout the day they have got to put in the work because our brain is tallying up everything throughout the day theirs is not so they don't understand that and so that's communication you have to have secondly you need more pleasure. If you feel like you need to do sex for them, it's because mm-hmm. you're not getting enough pleasure in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we turn to the orgasm chapter, friends. Yes, and let's talk we about find it. all the ways to increase pleasure, which, spoiler, people who report like highly satisfied sexual sessions don't put that much weight on the orgasm. I'm a big fan of the orgasm because I'm a hormone doctor and it does good things for your hormones. Yeah. But know that it doesn't always have to be an orgasm, but it needs to be pleasurable. And then I always hear a lot of women, especially guys, you know, the orgasm, it's its a physical thing. You see the orgasm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Women, I've had friends who have never had an orgasm. Yeah. And I'm like, God bless you. I'll pray for you. But why <laughs> is it because odd. he has not found where to go? Or yeah. what, what, what is that gap of I've never had or I... I he always comes, I never come, or sometimes yeah. I do. Because like, you could they can only have like a clitoral orgasm yeah. and not a... I get 2.1 point, I, we, we joke that I get 2.5 orgasms every session. You do? 2.5, baby. I love it. I don't know <laughs> that I've ever had like the... Maybe like once or twice. And my, me and my ex-husband had great sex. That's the thing. But I but still, see what I'm saying? So I, like, what, why is this? Like the best sex of yeah. my life. But like, yeah. So you have to be really that? vulnerable and mindful to have sex with a male. Like, so let's just like be, so to go back to your yeah. like, you have to have a mental connection. Yeah, someone's going to enter your body. Yeah. Like, do we ever like just recognize <laughs> yeah. the fact that they're going to be yeah. inside my body? Yes. Like, that's intense. So yes. So there is, hmm. there is that piece to it. Um. So my necklace literally says clitorate. Because this is what I'm on a mission to do. Oh, I'm, I'm going to send it. you some. I'm going to send you that. each one. Hashtag because Please. Yes. <laughs> really, because this is the information that like we all need in on. So I talk about this in the book. Freud, he literally ruined everything because he mm. was like, the clitoral orgasm is so infantile. And then medicine's like, oh, let's like also take the clitoris out of anatomy <gasps> textbooks is like a clitoral conspiracy. OK, so wow. a lot of people. I'm a fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Big fan has one function getting you off. Who doesn't love that? So with that, there's been this myth that like the goal for women and everybody should be the vaginal orgasm. So what we see in the science on heterosexual couples is 95% of the men are orgasming where 65% of the women are orgasming. That's the orgasm gap. Like, That is a huge gap. And then people like before the bros roll in and they're like, oh, no, but it's just like so hard to make a woman come. It's actually not because she can do it in a matter of minutes, like four yeah. minutes on yeah, her own. Like, I can go I have to a couch. I don't yeah. need yeah. you. Yes, and I know exactly where to go. couples are like 86 percent. They're orgasming every yeah. session. Like, so yeah. no, there's yeah. something else going on. It's called the clitoris. And so it's not taught in sex ed. Men don't 
totally know about it. They don't understand it. Where do they get their information from? So this is something everybody listening, if you have a man in your life, you want more pleasure, get the book. Yeah, just leave it open for them on the orgasm <laughs> chapter where I go through like there are all these ways to orgasm, but it usually comes down to the clitoral nerves, um, which, by the way, research just came out prior to this. It was based on a cow when they were saying, hey, based on a cow, this is how many nerve endings a woman wow. has. Um, and research just came out saying it's about 10,000. And this organ Okay, so people don't let me just like frame it this way. Okay, so in the uterus, uh, you're a little baby. You don't have you haven't differentiated genitals yet until that Y chromosome is there and it gets exposed to testosterone. And then you deviate away from the labia, the clitoris, all of that. And you decide to go penis, scrotum, you know, testicles, all of that. The penis and the clitoris, same tissue. But the penis has to, you know, not only ejaculate, so having orgasms, but also pass urine. And so it's got more functions. The Mm. clitoris, same tissue, only function is pleasure. And yet there's this myth that men, you know, have orgasms via the penis. Sex ed is like, let's take a male-centered approach in how we teach women about their body. Uh, Sex is a Mm -hmm. penis in vagina always, and you should like it. So most men, they don't (laughs) understand that like, oh, why is she not orgasming mm-hmm. and I actually go through like the, stimulate the clit like right. or, but do you like, have to stimulate the clit or can you just vaginally orgasm so okay so this is like highly debated uh whether or not there's a g-spot I don't care is it good for you that's all I care about like yeah. check that mm-hmm. box so yes there are women who absolutely orgasm with vaginal intercourse and it's questionable because Lucky. um <laughs> well it's like 18 percentage and there's like a whole like distance of like you know where where your vagina and your clitoris and it's all about anatomy okay mm. um but then that would beg the question aren't we still stimulating the clitoris with that so yeah uh. and then there are women who have orgasms by having their cervix stroked and oh. well there's doctors who are like there's no nerve endings in a cervix let's just stick an IUD out without you know without any anesthesia but there are women who are having orgasms that way there's analgasms there's nipplegasms mm-hmm. by the way I talk through all of this in the book so if your sex ed teacher didn't say it to you I got you covered <laughs> wow also wow. I have a little tip and it might be a clitoral orgasm just the now tip? just a <laughs> <just, laughs> tip oh, well, no seriously this is a little trick that I absolutely love so if your man goes down on you and you have a clitoral orgasm immediately allow him to insert himself in you and keep going and it's like one long magic orgasm where your soul leaves your body are you sure wait do you squirt should we talk about squirting we can talk about squirting but i do want to say there is research to support that if you orgasm first you're more likely to orgasm with vaginal sex so yes it's like and it's something that like if you orgasm first you so this phenomenon when you're really aroused happens called tenting where your your anatomy basically is like make room for a penis just in case um so that happens there's more lubrication there's all of these things that make sex better for everyone in the situation wow mm. Wow, I have a lot to digest here I feel like the inner vaginal orgasm is kind of one of those topics that women are kind of ashamed about because they are like I've never had that and it's good to know that it sounds like only 18% of women ever do achieve that and that you do need stimulus, uh, clitoral stimulation yeah. as well. So yeah. just tell your husband or yeah. your partner. So here's the deal, babe. You got to go down on me more. 
Right. Basically, yeah, that or there's positions that you can do. So putting a pillow underneath the hips so that your oh, yeah. hips are up if you're in the missionary position. If you're in something like doggy style, which, by the way, um, is not so great when you're around your period because your cervix is lower. So I don't, don't like it. Don't I feel like it's more there. painful. Like, For some people, it definitely is. So like you could do cowgirl instead. And then there's all kinds of toys that you can be using because I'm always like, listen, toys are your sidekick in the bedroom. Men are always like, oh, God, if she's using a toy, it's because she's not satisfied. Bro, that is your sidekick. Yeah. Like, that's your bestie. I love like, you're, that. Yeah, love a like, good cock ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's like your hype man right yeah. there. Bro. Olivia, like, my sister, such a weird gift, but she gave me this giant pink rabbit dildo. Oh and like, my God, that yes. was the thing that gave me the inner vaginal yeah. um, orgasm. And I don't, and I had, and I don't, still to this day, I don't think I've ever achieved one of those from a man. And my ex-husband is like 6'5", big dick. Oh, I have a question <laughs> about that too. Is do you think that there are certain, like, should we be having sex with somebody comparable to our size? Like, let's say I'm a little petite yeah. Vietnamese woman. Should I be having sex with, like, <laughs> I don't know, a seven-foot basketball player or a kid to kill do. me? No, like, they're not going to kill that's you. That's actually a very common so, couple. But <laughs> 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 That's a great question, right? So in the book, I actually have a, so the book is has all these Ask Dr. Brayton questions that I've received from patients and readers and people on my social media. And one that always comes up is, does size matter? Well, if we know a woman comes by clitoral stimulation, then if the penis is too small, it doesn't matter because tongues exist, fingers exist, toys exist. So it doesn't matter if you're happy and you're satisfied. When it hmm. does matter is when it's that big D energy coming into the bedroom. It's the energy. Because, it's yeah. the energy. It oh, really the is. Energy. But, well, I, no, I mean, you, they can be too big. That is certainly yeah. something. I mean, all like that we see like these sitcoms and like all of these things where they're like, oh, it's so big and it scared me. Yeah, that's scary. If, yeah. Like you're like, how do I handle that? There's something called the O-nut which I write about this in the book. I have got you covered on all the hacks. So it's the O-nut. You can actually slip it over the shaft and then you can control the depth of penetration. Oh my God. Yes. I feel like all the guys are going to be like, I am I better get one of those and my neck is just way too big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> get that for your boyfriend. Yeah. That he will, that's the best gift that's that a guy can ever get. Booster. Totally, yeah. totally. And so it, it does matter in terms of size for some people. But that's where like arousal, positions, all kinds of stuff can come into play because the biggest problem is when that like dick collides with the cervix and then you're like in the worst pain of your life yeah. like mm. people are like men are always like oh getting kicks in the balls is the worst I'm like get like knocked in the cervix yeah. friend like yeah. it is wicked yeah. or literally um, she's getting kicked in the cervix like <laughs> 20 right. times a day right, yeah. right now totally. pregnant well, uh, I love that you have asked Dr. Brighton because I feel like after our listeners hear this they're gonna have a million questions I could talk to you forever so please tell our listeners where they can find you totally so you can find me on drbrighton.com that's my main hub if you're on social media Ask Dr. Brayton happens on Instagram every Tuesday. You can come ask all of your questions. It's anonymous, so that's how we get spicy and fun on there. And then you'll also find me on TikTok, and those are both at Dr. Jolene Brayton. And if you're old school, you can also find me on Facebook as well. I love that. And you have a, a second book coming. Is this normal? When yes. is that launch? When can we expect to find that? April 4th. It'll be oh, that's here. that's my birthday. No! Oh, yeah. really? yeah, I yeah. love that. It. it was meant to be. It totally was. <laughs> I love it. Because I do have a lot more questions, and I'm going to be on my Finsta on there. No, I, <laughs> asking asking you the questions. questions. Just kidding. I, I'm not ashamed to ask questions. And I'm glad yeah. that you're making these kind of topics so accessible for people because you know, it, it, it shouldn't be a shameful thing for women to want to know how do we get the pleasure we we need. Mm-hmm. Deserve. And yeah, deserve. Hey, deserve. Love yeah. that. Love that. On that note, thank you so much for joining us today. You were incredibly insightful. Uh, I learned so much fun. Yes. yes. Thank you both. This thank was great. You. Thank you so much. 
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.